And we're live, ladies and gentlemen. We are live. 2023 is in the history books. On the first episode of the year, we're going to look at some stories that will surely define the current year, 2024, the upcoming presidential election, the impending Donald Trump trials, the growing economic instability are just a few of the stories that will surely grab serious headline space in the next 12 months. Also, the episode will end with a special Davos Watch segment. As Davos 2024 approaches in the next couple of weeks, we are going to talk about all this and more on episode 430 of the In the Tank podcast. That is right. I got my 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 best Christmas gift here uh, for you know. Honoring. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. That's right. Little Donald Trump is going to sit <laughs> right here behind me for now on. Welcome to the End of the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. We've got a full crew today. I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing great. I am uh, actually now very disappointed that I did not grab my little fighting, punching, tiny Trump that I bring out on the show once in a while. Uh, that's also a pen, a nice gift from my nephew a couple of years back. Uh, but happy new year to everybody. And in fact, um, I, I, when do you get to stop or when must you stop saying happy new year, by the way? I like to say it all the way through January, but mm. uh, I'm probably an outlier. Yeah, I'm going to give you two weeks, 14 days is all you have to say. Happy New Year. But a happy new year to Chris Talgo, editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Pretty good. Uh, I'm the kind of person that says happy new year for maybe two to three days after. And then it's like, okay, no, no more. Just like with Christmas, Donnie, I know that uh, you like to keep your decorations up. I know it's been, what, two weeks since Christmas and you still haven't taken them down. Guess what? Mine were <laughs> out the next day. 26, <laughs> Christmas is over. Yeah, and not just put back in the storage, just thrown in the garbage. Also joining yep. us, we have Jack McFerrin, who is a research fellow and research editor here at the Heartland Institute. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you, Donnie. Yeah, Happy New Year to everybody. I, I think that the um, the baseline for that should be you just say Happy New Year to each individual person you see one time, and then you don't say it again to the same person. Yeah, up like to a, a certain standard, you know, like, like after a couple of weeks, it's a little weird to say Happy New Year. Jim, yeah, yeah. You. you either say it once or within two weeks, whichever comes first. Yes. Because, Jim, like according to your philosophy, we could like start the next four episodes talking about Happy New Year. And that would be really weird by the fourth time. So I think well, I'm going to I'm gonna say it every show, <laughs> probably for six months. <laughs> for six months. <laughs> Uh, audio only listeners, if you are catching the show on a Friday or later, first off, later review for us on iTunes, that'd be greatly appreciated. Or you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we are live streaming on Facebook and X and Rumble and YouTube or whatever I didn't say. And you can join the conversation and you leave your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comment on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. You can also help out the show by hitting that super chat functionality to support the show that way. Or if you don't want to spend a penny, but you just want to spend a couple of seconds, you could hit that like button, share our content, subscribe if you haven't already, or just leave a comment under the video. All things that help break through the big tech algorithms to prevent content like this from being shown to more people. But we have a lot to talk about. I promise you we will get to Davos Watch by the end of the episode. We've got a lot prepared for that. But Jim, it is a new year. Um, I don't think... I don't, we have a lot of stuff going on at the Heartland Institute, Jim. I won't reveal everything that's been going on because I'm not sure that a few things are kosher to talk about in public quite yet. But surely you have some things to say about the organization as we venture into this year of 2024. What have you to say? Yeah, well, um, the polling results that we released uh, last month 
uh, you know, a couple of weeks before Christmas that made, uh, that created a media earthquake was really, <laughs> it was really something. And there is going to be more to say about that. Uh, we're doing further research. Um, for those of you who are, are not familiar, you can go to heartland.org and see all the poll results, but it showed that uh, we, we, we surveyed voters, likely voters, um, and, and asked them what they did in the 2020 election as far as what they did with their mail-in ballots. And around 20% of uh, all likely voters for this upcoming election in 2020 reported that in their mail-in ballots, they committed some sort of voter fraud, either on purpose or by accident. So they admitted this to a stranger who called them on the phone, which is pretty remarkable to us. Uh, that poll continues to get a lot of attention. The media hits on that are just unbelievable. Um, but including uh, Jack McFerrin, who's on the podcast today, we're gonna we're doing additional research, um, uh, you know, applying that polling result to um, a little bit to look. Let's just say we're going to look a little bit more closely at the 2020 election results. Um, so that's going to be another big bombshell that will be coming out from the Heartland Institute uh, in the coming weeks. But, you know, I, I Donnie's referring to an email that I sent out to staff. I'm vice president of the Heartland Institute. We've been around as an organization. This is our 40th year. As a matter of fact, um, we're, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary uh, this year. And, you know, it's amazing the amount of impact that, that the Heartland Institute has. Um, our, your, I don't know who said it, that you're known by your enemies. But um, we have a lot of enemies and we have enemies that are very well funded. We have enemies who are very vicious and mean and dedicated to taking us out. And it's because we're so effective at what we do, which is, um, well, we're known globally for fighting for climate realism and fighting against climate alarmism, fighting for science and against dogma when it comes to climate. And we are very, very effective at that. Um, we have a center on researching socialism or the Socialism Research Center at the Heartland Institute, I should say, of which Donnie is deputy director and Justin, who is not on the podcast today, but usually is, is the director. Uh, that's a relatively, you know, in the 40 year history of the Heartland Institute, that's a relatively new project. Yet it has also had enormous impact. Uh, Donnie and Justin have helped um, Glenn Beck write, uh, what is it going to be, three books now on The Great Reset, on, you know, basically globalism and the and the aims of the globalist powers to control our lives. Um, these things are not conspiracy theories. They are real. And this, this institution, the Heartland Institute, has helped do some of the really important research on exposing these truths to the world. And so as I, I sent an email to the whole staff, you know, as 2024 was dawning, and it's it just struck me how remarkable it is, how powerful the work we do here is with so few people. I mean, the our enemies think that we're this well-funded uh, cabal, but uh, I, I like that they think that. Um, and I, hey, Media Matters and, and you guys that are watching or listening to this podcast, I know you do. Uh, welcome. And I hope you enjoy the show. But, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the rules for radicals from Saul Alinsky, which is basically the playbook for the left and has been um, for more than 50 years, is that um, uh, if I can get the exact quote, it's it's not necessarily the power you have, but the power your enemies think you have. That's most important. Um, I think the Heartland Institute actually has both. Um, we are very powerful. We are very influential. We are winning victories for freedom and liberty all over the United States and all over the world. And um, uh, so we should be feared by our enemies, but we will never stop um, fighting for, well, for freedom and for normalcy. Um, <laughs> there's a one last quote I just wanted to, it's a, it's a, a blogger I like to read. Um, oh no, gosh, now I can't remember it as a quote. Uh, but you know, again, it's not, it's not about, um, anything other than fighting for freedom. Oh yeah. This is the quote. This is the, the point I, that I was trying to make. Um, if there's a war between people who want to change the world and people who just want to be left alone, the people who want to change the world usually win almost every time they want to win. And the real challenge, I think for people that love freedom, like we do for libertarians and conservatives is because they would be so happy if government and other people would just leave them the hell alone. Uh, but that's why the Heartland Institute exists, because although we do want to be left alone, we realize that you have to fight. You have to fight the left in order to achieve that wonderful future of being left alone, to live your life the way you want. So, uh, you know, at the end of the year, I just wanted to congratulate everybody at the Heartland Institute, because everything everybody does from, um, you know, our accountant to our research fellows, uh, to the president of the organization, James Taylor. Everything they do in service of the Heartland Institute is ultimately in service of freedom. And I couldn't be more proud 
to know that I go to work every day and I and my job and Johnny's job and Jack's job and Chris's job is to fight for freedom. I this is a dream job and uh I wish we could retire, but we're not gonna have gonna be able to <laughs> because the threats to freedom are ever present. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. Donald, Donald Trump had to had to join in for that. But uh, Chris, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about some of this stuff, too, as kind of the, the year wind down. But uh, anything you have to say in response to Jim's statements there? I think Jim uh, really hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know, I've had a couple of jobs before this. I was a teacher for five years and I was a personal trainer right out of college when I was still trying to pay off my college loans and stuff. And uh, I had nowhere near the satisfaction in those two jobs that I have here at the Heartland Institute, because I truly believe that I'm fighting for a righteous cause. And, uh, you know, this is something that I want to do for the rest of my life. So I'm just very appreciative to be here. Uh, I love everyone who's, you know, here. We're a big family. And uh, I think that we are, you know, really going to have a great year in 2024. Yeah, I honestly think that we've got some uh, big, 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 big things coming up in the next, not only just this year, but probably in the next couple of months here coming out. So uh, Jim mentioned one of the things, a couple of other things we're kind of keeping under wraps, but uh, big plans. You got to stay tuned to what we got cooking here at the good old Heartland Institute. But uh, we've got, like I said, main main topic of the podcast is going to be talking about some of the kind of larger stories that we foresee kind of grabbing a lot of the headline attention over the next 12 months but um you know 2023 was a pretty interesting year too in fact i feel like every year has gotten progressively more crazy since 2016 um last year i think the biggest story of the year was um uh the titanic submarine thing beyond that it was kind of a snooze fest for the rest of the year but we've got uh we've got a lot of stuff coming up i think the most obvious thing, and I kind of want to go around the horn uh, and everyone kind of pick a topic that or a, a story that you think is going to be kind of a, a big one for the upcoming year. But obviously, we can't talk about 2024 without talking about the upcoming general election. And not only that, but we have a whole slew of primary votes and all of that that's going to be coming around. What? 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 When's the first one? When's the Iowa caucus? That's like two weeks away. When is that? Chris, you know. Less than two weeks. I think it's January 15th. January 15th? Oh, that's when Davos. That's when Davos 2024 starts. All right, great. So, yeah, I mean, and then that, and then the primary season runs, like, three months or something. Like, it's a pretty Sup long Yeah, process. Super Tuesdays in, like, mid-March. So we should probably know, you know, for a fact who the uh, candidate's going to be by, you know, April or May. And then the conventions are usually, you know, mid mid-summer-ish. And then the real campaign season begins, <laughs> you know, really after Labor Day, but... You know, we're talking like, you know, June, July, August is when, you know, we're going to start to see dozens and dozens of campaign commercials every single day, which I can't stand. But I guess, you know, oh, yeah, I mean, ourselves. election years, especially general election years, it's it's a lot of the coverage goes towards the the campaigns and all of the election news coming out. And uh, I mean, that's just for a normal year this year I mean, with with Donald Trump. Joe Biden trying to be reelected, all the controversies that go along with both of those gentlemen, uh, whether you're talking about some of the trials that Trump is going to be facing or, you know, a growing concern of whether or not Joe Biden can make it out of his basement to actually campaign or anything. Uh, it seems like this year, the election election wise is going to be even more. I don't even I don't even have words to describe it. Just crazy than ever. But uh, I'm going to go with you first jack um what what in your opinion do we have to look forward to when it comes to the election and everything related to the election in the next 12 months well i would say that generally speaking we have very little to look forward to um <laughs> <laughs> that's because i'm a cynic um but i yeah like you this is completely unprecedented um chaos is probably a bit of a tame word to describe what we're going to see and what we what we're already seeing we've already got two states that have attempted to knock trump off of the primary ballot in colorado and in maine and yes we we assume that the supreme court will step in at any moment now i mean i'm pretty sure that the deadline for colorado is tomorrow somebody correct me if i'm wrong um but something has to happen there and that will ideally stop all of these other 
states from their efforts to knock Trump off the primary ballot. But that's just one one small piece of what we're going to see here between that and the the criminal trials and all of the massive amounts of propaganda and censorship that will come uh, alongside everything that people on the right and even in the center try to say about the election. I mean, I think that all of the um, all the stops are going to get pulled out here. And uh, I mean, this is in many leftists minds, you know, some of them, I think, are genuine in their hatred of the right. Some of them are just brainwashed. Uh, But either way, either way, um, they truly believe that Trump is going to somehow turn this country into a fascist dictatorship, largely based off of a soundbite taken out of context in a interview with Sean Hannity what? a few weeks what? ago. The media taking clips out of context? No, yeah, that's never happened. Crazy. But but point being, we have absolutely no way of predicting what is going to happen between now and November. And I'm just here for the ride and, and here to fight, you know, in whatever way I can to protect the integrity of our election process yes and he means fight like metaphorically he doesn't mean literally so stay off his back fbi no, uh, no. chris chris is this uh is this the next now most important election of our lifetimes is this the 25th most important elect- <laughs> elections in our lifetime in a row what do, what do you say well i haven't been around for 25 elections at least general elections however i do think that this is going to be the most important most significant election that i've ever been around in and um you know i just wanted to go back to 2012. so i vividly remember in 2012 when mitt romney was the republican candidate and the uh, barack obama campaign just pilloried him in the press uh in the lead up to uh the the general election this was, you know, right after he was named uh, the Republican uh, candidate, at the you know national convention, and I just remember seeing all the ads about Mitt Romney uh, was a bully in school. Mitt Romney, uh, you know, put his dog, you know, in his uh, like travel thing on his car, and he's a terrible guy, and he has elevators for cars in his house. I think that that is going to look like nothing compared to the mudslinging that's going to go on this time. I think that I think that this is going to be a really, really down and dirty election. I think it's going to be, unfortunately, all about the personalities of the two candidates. I think there's going to be very little policy uh, debate, which is what I obviously care most about. It's to me the the personalities and, and all that stuff does not matter. It's policy, policy, policy. I wish that the 2024 campaign would be about policy, but I think that the mainstream media and the Biden campaign is going to try to make it as little about policy as possible. I hope the Trump uh, you know, campaign really does harness and focus on the, the policies that they are proposing, which I think we desperately need, uh, you know, from everything from the border to our economy to, uh, you know, our education system. We have a lot going on. We have a lot of things that we need to solve. And I think that if we do not solve it in 2024 and we get four more years of a Biden Harris, uh, you know, administration here. I don't know if we will able to uh, to come back. Yeah, Jim. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I was kind of joking when I was asking about whether or not this is like the most important election, <laughs> you know, since whenever. But uh, I mean, this one seriously is uh, a fan of like societal um, order might be a little worried going into this election because it's like you know you look at any of the scenarios it's like trump wins by a landslide it's like i could see chaos erupting from that trump squeaks out a win i could see chaos uh, resulting from that trump losing by a little bit i could see chaos resulting from that you know like the only one that i could see like not chaos resulting from is trump losing in a landslide but uh, i don't know what are your thoughts am i overstating the case well, I don't know. You know, um, I'm usually the the most pessimistic person on this on this podcast, or maybe in the organization, uh, despite my uh, I think pretty inspiring opening statement there at the top of the pod. But um, you know, I, I recall, and you'll recall too, um, and uh, I, but nobody else can recall it because our show got nuked from space and taken down when we discussed that infamous story in Time Magazine about how all of these. Previously unknown and unseen forces, very powerful ones, very wealthy ones, worked together to fortify the election, as they put it, um, in 2020 uh, to ensure Trump's defeat. And one of the aspects of that story or one of the details of that story 
was how well-funded professional rioters were poised in cities across the country, ready to riot, ready to burn, ready to injure people if, uh, if Biden did not win the election. But suddenly they all just dissolved away. And that was reported by Time Magazine. Uh, so we, I guess we avoided uh, some very, very bad things happening in 2020 because Trump didn't win. Uh, so am I worried that <laughs> cities will burn? Oh, yeah, a city, if Trump wins the election narrowly or, um, or handily, that is going to lead to people dying on the streets. Let's just be honest about it. Businesses being burned down. Um, it'll be absolute chaos out there. And, you know, when you have Kamala Harris, who at the time in the summer of love uh, for George Floyd, she got on television and said, we're not going to stop. It's going to keep going. They should keep going. Um, so, you know, we have one part of our uh, uh, political sides, I guess, one political side encouraging absolute chaos, mayhem and violence in the streets when they don't get their way electorally. But with all of that said, I'm trying to be, and, and I think I might genuinely be optimistic that we are seeing the uh, the last throes of anger uh, and frustration from the left on all sorts of things, and not just on not just in politics, actually, but especially in policy. Um, the aims of the left, let's just take climate, for example, and energy policy. Uh, story just last week that. I think uh, General Motors had to buy something like, well, they had to buy hundreds of Buick dealerships from the people who owned them because the people who owned those Buick dealerships refused to sell electric vehicles. And they refused to sell them because nobody wants them. And they're just clogging up their lots. And they say, forget it, buy me out. I'm out of here. I'm not selling these pieces of garbage that nobody wants. You can't make me do it. So I quit, buy me. Um, and so you see this happening all over the place where the left's agenda is starting to crack and crumble. And it's because it's being exposed and people are kind of, to be honest, they're sick of it, but they're sick of the whole woke agenda. They're sick of the double standards. They're sick of a, a justice system that doesn't seek justice, but vengeance against the political enemies of the state. Um, and I, I really do starting to, st to feel it in my heart that the American people in overwhelming numbers are going to reject fully and completely through the electoral po uh, process, all of this uh, woke leftist um, BS gaslighting control of our society by the left. Um, and I think if there, if it takes, if, if rioting in the streets by the left is the cost of wresting control, complete control over the power structures of this country from that side, that's a price that we're just going to have to pay. But I, I st I'm starting to believe that we're going to see that because, you know, it's just starting, it's starting to crack and that's where they get louder and that's where they get more panicked. Um, I, I, I'm trying to see the signs that are there. You know, I, I agree with Jim, uh, Donnie. Uh, Joe Biden's uh, poll numbers are at historic lows for uh, this point in a presidency. I look back to 1992 and uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush had just won the Iraq war and uh, he actually was at an, um, an all-time high. Guess what happened? A pretty nasty recession. And uh, what happened to George H.W. Bush? He lost to uh, Bill Clinton in 1992. I think that the people are going to vote on their pocketbook and the cost of, you know, everyday goods and services is just outrageous. I was at the store um, just a couple of days before Christmas, you know, buying some presents and stuff. I heard just, you know, people in, in you know, a couple of the aisles talking about the price of, you know, whatever it is that they were, you know, looking at. And I think that that is really what's going to drive voters. I think that it's the the price of, uh, you know, electricity, uh, the price of groceries, just everything. It's, we can't afford this anymore. 66% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. I think we need to get back to, uh, you know, just, you know, simple stuff here, get the economy back in order, get our foreign policy back in order, get our border secure, and, uh, you know, uh, look at our education system and uh, fix, you know, these flaws. Yeah. You know, I want to get to edu uh, the economy next um, and specifically for you, Chris. But before I do that, one more thing about the election. Are we just assuming at this point that it's going to be Trump versus Biden? I mean, is there any case to be made that there's going to be any kind of hiccups in either of those camps? Um, I was on Sean Thompson a couple of weeks ago and he bet me, he made a bet on air and I'm going to hold him to it. 
that he thinks that it's not going to be Trump versus Biden. And he thinks his money is on Nikki Haley versus Gavin Newsom. And he's not rooting for that. Let me just make sure that that's very clear. He's not rooting for that. But he thinks that that is going to be the general election uh, matchup. So does anyone uh, anyone think that it's going to be anything other than Trump versus Biden? Uh, sound off in the comments, too. I'm very curious of what of our listeners are thinking about that well, question. It'll, it'll be Trump versus Biden, almost certainly. Um, but Chris opened this door when he when he was talking about 92 and George H.W. Bush losing. And, you know, one of the other reasons that George H.W. Bush lost was because of Ross Perot. And, um, you know, in this election, we are going to see some major third party candidates. We already have RFK Jr., who has anywhere between 15 and 20 percent of the vote and a lot of polls. We're going to see. Most likely we're going to see Joe Manchin, um, or maybe not most likely, but there have been a lot of reports that he's going to join the race, potentially with a running mate of John Huntsman. I've also seen a report saying that the No Labels group is courting Mitt Romney to join the ticket with Joe Manchin. Um, we've got Cornell West. We've got whoever the Libertarian <laughs> candidate's going to be. We've got whoever the Green candidate's going to be. Firm and Supreme. Yeah, sure. And, and so I, I, I think that I, I really don't know which which candidate between Trump and Biden, those third party candidates will will benefit the most. I would venture to guess that they will hurt Biden more than they will hurt Trump because the Democratic Party is very much split. I mean, even more split than Republicans, especially with what's happening with Israel and uh, Palestine right now. But we're, we're going to see some serious, uh, this election will be unique for a lot of reasons, but that will be one of them. Well, Jim, I, feel free to say yes or no. Biden versus Trump. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, actually, I was just going to. I was just looking up the um, Republican uh, presidential primary calendar, and as pointed out earlier, we have the Iowa caucuses on uh, on January fifteenth, and the New Hampshire primaries on the twenty third of January. Then we have Nevada on February sixth, um, uh, South Carolina February twenty fourth, Michigan primary on the twenty seventh. And then we a couple other ones, and then we come up to Super Tuesday on March 5th. So really in a span of, you know, two and a half or basically two months almost from now, we'll just we'll know, you know, I, I, it's very unlikely that if uh, Trump does well in those in those, you know, on Super Tuesday and everything else, that he's not going to be the nominee. But the good news, the good thing about all of that is that we finally get to stop talking about polling numbers <laughs> and guessing and, you know, the people, the Republican primary voters and caucus uh, goers are going to be able to make some real choices here. And, um, uh, you know, so the polls say that Trump is going to be the nominee and he's going to he's going to cruise to victory. Um, but we'll find out soon enough. In fact, very soon. So that's the good news is that we can, you know, see results instead of guessing or relying on polls. All right, all right. I'm Donnie. I think that Donald Trump is absolutely going to be the candidate for the GOP. And I do not think that Joe Biden is going to be the candidate for the Democrat Party, because I think that he is, uh, you know, taking it from both sides here. From the far left, they're upset that he hasn't gone, you know, enough of the big government, you know, route. He didn't uh, follow through on student loan uh, stuff and you know many other issues. But then the moderates, that, that he really tried to, uh, you know, to build a bridge towards. Yeah, no, in, in, in 2020, he's completely abandoned them. So I think that he's kind of stuck in no man's land. And I know this is a very, you know, small thing, but Charlemagne, the God, T-H-A, not T-H-E, just want to make that clear. <laughs> okay. He came out yesterday and said that he will not endorse Biden and Harris for 2024 because he thinks that they have done a terrible job and that they have abandoned the people who actually got them in the office. And I think he was mostly referring to, you know, minority people. But I think that the border situation is a really, uh, you know, big uh, Achilles heel for Biden, because what's happening here in Chicago, in our backyard, you've got these, you know, these migrants that are being bussed up here. And uh, Brandon Johnson, the super liberal, you know, socialist uh, Democrat mayor is saying, oh, well, we got to provide for these people. And the, uh, the, many of the people in the, the city who actually elected him are saying, wait a second, what about us? So I think that this is uh, I think this is just one instance of where they are uh, on really uh, rocky you know road here because they're trying to to gut, you know to thread that needle between uh, satisfying the, the moderates and satisfying their far left you know liberals and whether it's the Israel thing whether it's the border thing whether it's the economy you know whether it's energy whether it's environment just you know across the board I think that he is you know uh, not not you know satisfying both of those. 
And I also watched his uh, his you know little video thing on uh, New Year's Eve on Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve thing or whatever with Ryan Seacrest. It was <laughs> terrible. Joe Biden looked like I mean for his eyes looked like they were like you know something was just fundamentally wrong with him. He could not answer the most basic questions. Jill was sitting there next to him, and Ryan Seacrest, for example, is asking him. What are you eating these days? Oh, pasta. And then she goes, oh, you remember you like ice cream. Oh, yeah, I like chocolate chip <laughs> ice cream. If if, if this is how bad, and it had to be edited. We oh, couldn't, even, couldn't even be shown live. He is really, really, uh, you know, just, just you know, really not able uh, to articulate his thoughts anymore. And I think that, you know, a, a 2024 campaign, no way can he do that. No way can he, you know, travel across this country with a grueling, you know. Uh, okay, uh, well. Well, answer it then. Who who's the replacement? I don't know. I think that maybe it'll be new something. Maybe it'll be um, you know Michelle Obama. I don't know, but I do not think it's going to be Joe Biden. Okay. All right. So Chris, I got to go to you again because uh, late last week, you know, there's some article that came across my like news feed or something. I was reading it, and it was titled. I should have had this in the show notes, but it was titled like "Worst Predictions Made in 2023" or something like that. And a lot of them were like stupid and not worth commenting on. But one of them was trying to, you know, obviously the article was written with like a leftist slant. But one of the the things that they were trying to like spike the football on was all of these moron commentators and economists and, uh, you know, economic analysts all predicting that there was going to be a recession. And they're all so dumb because there was no recession and everything's rosy and everything <laughs> seems like it's getting better. And, uh, you know, all of these things. And Chris, you've probably written more about, uh, you know, economic stuff uh, for Heartland in the past year than probably anyone. So uh, what what what's your response to that accusation that those predictions of any type of economic downturn were just stupid and unfounded? Well, that's just not true. Uh, first of all, we did have a, a very brief recession for a couple quarters in late 2022 into the early stages of 2023. We had two consecutive quarters of uh, you know no growth. Uh, so it, across the economy, here, here's here's one thing that I that I you know hear a lot of, especially from some of my liberal friends. The stock market's up. Everything's great. My my mm. my you know my my uh, portfolio's up. And I tried to explain to them, and especially one one guy in particular. Wait a second. Most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have a dime to put into their portfolios. They don't care about the stock market. The stock market is, you know, is completely outside of their everyday uh, circumstances. What they're concerned about is when they go to the grocery store, when they go to the gas station, when they go to, the, you know, dinner, and they're paying, you know, twenty percent, thirty percent more for the things that they need to survive. And I think that that is going to be the number one reason why Joe Biden is not. You know, first of all, I don't think he's going to, you know, be the nominee. But I, that's why I think that the uh, Democrat Party is not going to win the 2024 general election because Americans are unable to afford just everyday things. You know, mortgage rates. Just we could go on and on and on. So they're trying to beat us into, you know, in our heads that oh, the economy is great. You just don't know it yet. But the American people know better than that, and they know that something is fundamentally wrong. We've got way too much government spending. We've got, you know, way too much, um, you know, inflation still. And we need to get back to common sense economics. And I think that you know, Donald Trump did a very good job before the pandemic. We had a really, you know, strong, you know, thriving and growing economy. We were actually bringing manufacturing jobs back into the United States. And I think that you know, had there not been the pandemic, that Donald Trump would have won easily uh, in 2020. But the pandemic, you know, really, you know, uh, changed things, you know, right before the election. And I think that now we're, you know, in 2023, 2024, and we still have not recovered yet. And I think that people are, are pointing the finger at Biden saying, your big government, big spending, you know, inflationary agenda is making our lives worse, not better. And I just go back to, and I know Jim probably remembers this. Let's go back to what Reagan said. Are you better off four years ago than you were today? And I think that if, if the people answer that question, honestly, they will say, no, we're not. And they will, you know, vote accordingly. Yeah, Jim, I mean, feel free to uh, uh, discuss any economic stuff that, that kind of relates to that uh, potential story of 2024. Or if you don't have something to contribute to that, if you have another story that you think is going to grab a lot of attention in the coming 12 months, let it fly. What do you got? Don't, don't you have anything? 
<laughs> Donnie, I know you're the host, but don't you have some stories that you wanted to think? Do you not have one in the pocket? Because I'll, I'll go to somebody else. Uh, Jack, if you have a story, then you can you can jump in with one. I'm not sure if I have a specific story, um, but I would say that, you know, we'll continue to see massive uh, innovations and upgrades to existing artificial intelligence. Uh, like, for example, I've read a lot of reports that ChatGPT5 will come out uh, definitely by the end of this year and uh, perhaps even in the next few months. And that's a pretty big step up from its current iteration, because right now, and Donnie, I know that you're pretty well versed in this as well. But right now, it's still artificial narrow intelligence and GPT-5 will, according to reports, be artificial general intelligence, which essentially means that it will be able to think and reason and connect dots between things at a level similar to human beings. Um, and feel yeah, feel free to tag onto that, Donnie, with with what you've Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I've I've read far too much analysis on this, and uh, a lot of a lot of uh, the people suggest that the twenty twenty four, the year of artificial intelligence, is going to make twenty twenty three look like nothing. Um, which twenty twenty three was a huge year when it came to that. Um, I won't I won't pose this open ended. What are the stories of twenty twenty four going to be? Uh, open ended question to Chris because he's going to talk about aliens and UFOs. So <laughs> I'll sidestep They're that. True. One. They're out but, there. But one thing that I did want to mention that seems to be a kind of a common prediction that I've seen in the in the uh, the interwebs is uh, this idea of some sort of large cyber attack sort of incident. And a lot of people suggest that this is something that's going to be like a foreign policy issue with with China or Russia or something like that. Um, others suggest that it's, you know, going to be some sort of just like economic uh, issue or, or whatever. But um, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but the World Economic Forum in January of 2023, so about a year ago, had some really weird prediction uh, where they suggested that in the next 24 months, I'm pretty sure that was their 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 timeline. They said in the next 24 months, there's probably going to be some big scale, large you know, cyber cyber attack or something like that, some global hacking event, and we have to do something about it. And then a few months later, Justin was kind of covering a lot of uh, our common agenda from the United Nations, which in one part has this whole section about cybersecurity and the potential cyber attacks and all of that. And then just recently, there was an article that was going around about a CBS reporter or commentator, uh, I can't think of her name, Jim knows it, that uh, was predicting a Catherine black Harridge. Catherine uh predicting a black swan event in the next 12 months, basically leading up to the to the election, which caught my attention because it kind of aligned with that World Economic Forum's prediction of in the next you know 24 months a year ago so it all seems hmm. to line up a lot of people were suggesting that this is going to be some sort of big thing that uh you know has some impact on the general election or whatever and a lot of people say whatever your predictions are bs anyways i'm not going to listen to you but jim i mean i don't know if you're gonna if this was a movie sequel i mean how are you gonna how are you gonna raise the stakes more than what COVID did in 2020. Are, are you thinking that there's the possibility that there's some big scale cyber security threat issue, whatever going into uh, this year? What do you think? Well, I think it's, it, I think it's instructive and, and uh, almost funny that you had mentioned uh, that, you know, somebody at W that the WEF, the world economic economic forum predicted some sort of catastrophic event or something within the next 24 months. Yeah. Uh, of course they can put a 24 month time frame on it um, because they're going to be responsible for it or at least know about <laughs> it and not do anything. So that's why they, Oh, we just got canceled well. everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess I, I'm, I'm influenced by our, our commenters here in the chat. So uh, <laughs> with some of their comments. So, so sorry about that. No, actually not sorry about that, but because if you remember, actually you remember, um, it was a few, was it like a year or so before uh, COVID, um, the, the global pandemic that people at the World Economic Forum were warning that we're going to have a huge um, global pandemic that's going to be very dangerous? Yeah, they did. They, they actually predicted it. And then it comes true within, you know, 12, 16 months later. Um, Bill Gates goes out there and says, well, OK, so when the next pandemic hits, 
Um, <laughs> you know, when you hear these things from these from these global leaders and when they go to Davos and we're going to have Davos watch later uh, in this program to talk about it in more detail. But uh, yeah, the, you know, oftentimes the, we discount the effect that events have on elections, for instance. Um, and so there could be something either, you know, an economic collapse, um, as you said, a, a cyber attack. You know, we keep we've been we've been hearing warnings about uh, a major cyber attack against the United States from China um, that which could shut down our grid. It could, um, you know, really do some serious economic and physical damage to the United States. You know, we've been hearing predictions about that for several years. Nothing's ever happened. Um, but is this a president and an administration that has a record of standing up for China or standing up against China, I should say? No. So <laughs> their ability to carry out something like that is uh, greatly enhanced right now as it wasn't maybe four years ago. Well, any sort of um, any sort of major event like what is being described will most likely benefit the the incumbent Joe Biden, and that, that that's how it usually works. Is when there is some sort of a major like national security threat or a major disaster, people generally just from a psychological perspective don't want to introduce a new regime during a period of chaos. So I think that what Jim Jim you said about how you know the World Economic Forum will actually be responsible for it, you know whether they are or not, if something happens that's independent of them, it will be played up in a major way, just like COVID was to, um, to take away our rights and to indoctrinate everybody with propaganda and to strengthen Joe Biden's regime. And, and that is what I think will probably happen over the next year. Something will happen that is unexpected and that will be deemed some sort of a national security threat. And we will see a clamp down. You know, you know, I, I'm sorry, just real quick. I just want to play devil's advocate to this. So during the Trump administration, four years, we had no real big foreign conflicts. Uh, Joe Biden's uh, foreign record has just been atrocious. We had the uh, disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal. We had the Ukraine you know, invasion. And we've had this, you know, Palestine-Israel conflict. I think that it, the American people understand that Donald Trump's peace through strength agenda uh, worked and that Joe Biden's, uh, you know, utopian, can we all just get along Barack Obama type, you know, foreign policy is just completely garbage. And that if we do this for another four years, we're probably going to just embolden China to take over Taiwan and more of these, uh, you know, rogue nations to just do whatever they're doing. Uh, I think that we need a return to peace through strength and the American military, whether it's recruitment, whether it's a number of uh, ships we have in our Navy, uh, you know, we, we we need to get back, you know, to basics here. We need to uh, make sure that we have the best military on the planet so that we actually don't have to use it. Does anyone want to make uh, any predictions about 2024 that will surely age terribly and we will <laughs> we'll mark this episode down so that we can rub it in your face when it doesn't or does come true? Anyone? I do want to make sure that we have room for Davos watch. So this is going to be my last question. So if anyone has anything to say about this topic, speak now or forever hold your peace. Well, I think they played, I think they played the pandemic card in 2020. So they don't have that. They also played the race card in 2020. So I think that they are going to grab it. Something that we can't even, you know, imagine. Uh, I do think that there's going to be an, uh, an October surprise. I'm just worried of what it's going to be. And yes, together, we will make America great again. That's my prediction for 2024. All right, gentlemen, let's 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 do some Davos watch. What do you say? All right, welcome to episode 10 of Davos Watch, where we keep an eye on the global elites from Davos to the UN and all the other advocates of global fascism and totalitarian technocracy. This week, I wanted to talk about a couple of things uh, that specifically re relate to the World Economic Forum and the Davos 2024 conference that will be taking place in about a week and a half from now, starting on January 15th. In the last episode of Davos Watch, we talked about Klaus Schwab and the massive amount of influence he wields as founder and CEO of the World Economic Forum. 
During that episode, we briefly talked about the Young Global Leaders Program. In the episode, we played a clip of Schwab talking about how many world leaders from Justin Trudeau to Andrea Merkel were former members of the Young Global Leaders Program and how the program allows the World Economic Forum to, quote, penetrate the administrations of governments around the world. In this episode, I want to talk about three things. Number one, the fact that we should take the World Economic Forum and Davos very seriously. Number two, the size and scope of the Young Global Leaders Program and its effects on global policy. And number three, I want to take a little look ahead at the upcoming Davos 2024 conference. So let's start off with the World Economic Forum and Davos itself. And apologies to the constant listeners out there that already know bits and pieces of all of this. Uh, I think by now a good percentage of conservatives know the World Economic Forum and Davos. However, I fear that this knowledge is often superficial. Perhaps some know that it's filled with globalist wannabe central planners or Maybe they'll see the uh, yearly story highlighting how hypocritical these heads of state are for their week-long virtue signaling about climate while they jet along in their private planes eating five-course meals at a posh ski resort, etc., etc. But we can't just dismiss these power-hungry elites as simply hypocritical virtue signal signalers looking for an excuse to swing in Switzerland. Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum have been able to achieve massive wins towards the goal of uh, obtaining global far left wing collectivism. So one of those big wins, I think um, this is probably the biggest one, I would say, is the idea of public private cooperation. So this is the Great Reset. This is stakeholder capitalism or the uh, label that we gave it when we were working with Glenn Beck on this issue, is 21st century fascism. The entire system of ESG, the metrics guidelines for the system of corporate social credit scoring, all of the in infrastructure and policies that molded the entire new age version of controlled economy was built right under our noses with direct coordination and development from the World Economic Forum. Also, World Economic Forum and Davos and all of that, they are extremely good, well-versed at influence and messaging. How is it that talking points of the World Economic Forum are parroted across the world? They don't have a news network. They don't own the New York Times or the Washington Post. So how do their viewpoints become so pervasive? Well, it's because they deal in influence. That is the currency of the World Economic Forum. Davos and the other couple dozen events that they host annually act as a showroom for the latest and brightest globalist leftist talking points and world leaders, business leaders, and probably more importantly, high level members of their staff are subjected to hours of narrative spinning presentations on a whole host of dire issues that desperately need the action of compassionate leaders that have the power, nay, the duty to do something about it. And then this messaging is consciously or maybe even subconsciously infused into the messaging and influence of the attendees. So when they go back to their, uh, you know, their their countries or whatever, and they're doing their campaigning and, you know, speaking from the, uh, the podium, they are regurgitating some of those talking points that they have just obtained from places like Davos. So after a week at Davos, political and business leaders are just itching to to, uh, you know, up. Uh, uphold their civic duty and act as they see fit on a whole range of issues, whether it be climate change, renewable energy, income inequality, social justice, what have you. Also, public policy. So this obviously, uh, what I've just described, can obviously lead to changes in public policy. In addition to the messaging at the Davos conference and the cooperation facilitated by the World Economic Forum, the WF also promotes their Young Global Leaders Program. So the Young Global Leaders, I talked about this, uh, you know, a little bit in the previous episode of Davos Watch, episode nine. You go back and check it out if you haven't. Mm -hmm. But uh, here are a few names, just a short list of names that are on this list of Young Global Leaders. When it comes to world leaders, you got Justin Trudeau of Canada, Emmanuel Macron. You got Angela Merkel. You got uh, Gordon Brown from the UK, Gavin Newsom. Business leaders include Jeff Bezos. 
Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Page, Mark Andreessen. Also, you've got Paul Krugman, one of my favorite economists, not. Leonardo DiCaprio, and Jim's personal favorite, Megan Rapinoe, all part of the Young Global Leaders list. And the list itself is massive. I didn't think that it was this big, but uh, it's got like thousands of names on it. Jack tracked down a database with everyone from the Young Global Leaders and its predecessor uh, uh, program, the Global Leaders of Tomorrow. But what is the Young Global Leaders? Is it just an honorary award given to up-and-coming influential people? Not according to the World Economic website and the literature on this matter. According to their website, under the nomination criteria, it says, quote, Every year we select a remarkable group of exceptional leaders under the age of 40 who have the tenacity, foresight, and track record to better the world. We seek individuals who reflect global diversity, innovate to advance the public interest, and place a premium on genuine public-private cooperation exchanges. These individuals will be invited to join the community and embark on a three-year transformational journey. Their website is also populated with a bunch of testimonials from some of these people that are in the Young Global Leaders. One of the testimonials reads, quote, Becoming a Young Global Leader wasn't an award for past accomplishments, but an invitation to start a new journey committed to helping make the world a better place. Another one reads, My Young Global Leaders experience helped me change my career to focus on driving more environmentally and socially sustainable financing and investments for that i am forever grateful and that was the global head of sustainable finance at bank of america merrill lynch so these people are very influential they are very influenced by the young global leaders program and when they go back to you know after their little indoctrination camps you know they're able to help kind of indoctrinate everyone else down that uh, down the line so you have a program of the World Economic Forum dedicated solely to grooming the next generation of influential people. You have Klaus Schwab talking about how this. Oh. In that same video, uh, he talks about how half the cabinet in Canada were young global leaders members at some point. These public figures are all spouting World Economic Forum rhetoric, but does it translate to real governing and public policy? And I personally would love, if I had the time and the manpower, I would love to study the correlation between the Young Global Leaders members and World Economic Forum supported public policies enacted while those people held office. But in the meantime, I'll have to stick to what we can find. And thankfully, because of the wonderful research of Jack McFerrin, we have found a peer-reviewed academic study which gives us some insight into this very thing. So this paper uh, that I, oh, I don't think I have it in the show notes. I will find it and share it. Uh, but the paper is titled, quote, is the network of World Economic Forum Young Global Leaders Associated with COVID-19 Non-Pharmaceutical Invention Severity? The study found that in regards to certain COVID-related public policy, the World Economic Forum, with its network of trained young global leaders worldwide, could function as an influential amplifier or echo chamber. The World Economic Forum formed a shared opinion on the crisis and mitigation me uh, measures. This opinion might have been spread and reinforced through the Young Global Leaders Network. And uh, so they found a correlation between countries with uh, high levels of young global leaders in their kind of leadership roles and uh, following some of these kind of WEF subscribed non-pharmaceutical inventions interventions so this shouldn't be surprising i'd be willing to bet that a lot uh, I, i'd be willing to bet a lot of money that uh, the same correlations could be found on a number of issues whether it's climate change energy policy being the first couple that come to mind and last thing that i want to talk about uh, before I open it up to comment here, is that our world leaders are getting ready for another dose of World Economic Forum narratives with the Davos 2024 conference starting here soon in January 15th. According to their website, the main theme, the main theme of the conference will be rebuilding trust. 
It says, quote, the program embodies a back to basic spirit of open and constructive dialogue between leaders of government, business and civil society. Hmm. What could have happened in the past couple of years to degrade the trust people had in world governments and international institutions? I couldn't possibly know. But I'm sure Klaus Schwab and his band of experts have the answers and more importantly, the solutions. So, Jack, you helped uh, me do a lot of the research on this segment of Davos Watch. Uh, any comments on any of the things that I had to say during those last 10 minutes or so? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I like you mentioned, this this paper is really fascinating and I highly recommend that anybody that has the time take a look at it. One of the, um, you know, I'm not going to read through all of the results, but there's one section of it that uh, it, it's like a little vignette. So here's a quote. A vignette might support this, meaning this conclusion that the young global leaders have an influence on pandemic policy. So Uruguay, which has one young global leader, and Argentina, which has 11 young global leaders, are neighboring countries with a similar population density. Argentina has 16 inhabitants per square kilometer and Uruguay has 20 per square kilometer, although their total population size is very different. While Argentina imposed one of the most severe lockdowns, Uruguay did not and fared much better for whatever reasons. So that's just one example from the paper, but um, the, the overall conclusion, even though they don't uh, imply that there was significant causation, there is a, a, a very statistically significant correlation between the, um, the amount of young global leaders in the country and the uh, strength of the pandemic lockdown measures. So yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was pretty unbelievable. The, you, you like you called me over to your desk and you're like, oh, look at this paper I found. And I was kind of blown away. Yeah. Like I couldn't believe that somebody had done that research. So we got to look deeper and we got to find a, a more. I mean, anecdotally, I think it's kind of obvious to kind of point and say like, oh, look, when Emmanuel Macron was in charge of France, you know, they did X, Y or Z or something like that. But to have like an actual like paper that did the analysis and all of that, I think is pretty invaluable, but. Oh, um, absolutely. All the data that it took to, uh, to populate their analysis is pretty, pretty impressive. And then the only other thing that I would say about what you already talked about in terms of all the people that have been, um, that have been young global leaders and are now in influential positions. I think it's important to say, well, two things. One, I'll just list a few of the people in the United States. So, and this is just political. Um, so we've got Adam Kinzinger, we've got Brian Deese, who is the former leader of Biden's National uh, Economic Council. We have Dan Crenshaw, representative from Texas. We have Elise Stefanik. We have Gavin Newsom. We have Huma Abedin. We have Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado. We have Jeff Zients, the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator. We have Julian Castro, the former U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. We have Dr. Oz. We have Larry Summers. We have Nikki Haley, Pete Buttigieg, Tom Cotton, Tulsi Gabbard, Vivek Murthy, the uh, the Surgeon General of the United States. Um, so these people are in very strong positions of power, obviously. And that leads me to my second point here, is that they are not just confined to a specific ideology or party. As all those names that I just listed, it's about half Democrats and half Republicans, maybe a few more Democrats than Republicans. And that goes for all of the young global leaders in, in business, academia, arts and culture, banking, media, NGOs, IGOs. This is not just a you know, left wing, left wing people are World Economic Forum leaders and right wing mm -hmm. people are not. It is spread out amongst all ideologies. And I think that's very important too. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do even more digging into all of this and kind of like what, what is the three-year process of becoming a young global leaders? And does somebody have a truncated ver version of that? Cause I can't imagine, you know, Bill Gates spending all that amount of time to become a young global leader. So maybe some people are given like a, like a quick, quick ride, you know, onto the Perhaps. list and others are good. Jim, uh, I, when I was going through the list yesterday and pulling out some significant names, I came across the name, of a certain director, which will be helming the next Star Wars movie. So I bet you cannot wait for that uh, nice World Economic uh, uh, Forum-infused Star Wars movie to come out in a couple of years. <laughs> You're just so excited, I bet. I mean, what, I mean it's, I, what's her name? It's uh, 
she uh, is a Canadian Pakistani director, I believe. And that, uh, yeah. yeah, she, she's a W she's a W E F grad. Yes. Uh, I, I just sent it to Jack yesterday. Let me try to find uh, it. Yeah. I'm pulling it up now. Let's see. Uh, Charmin, uh, Abid Chinoy. That's, she's yes. going to be doing the next Ray mm. Star Wars movie. Right. And she well, actually, I mean, there, there's a presentation of her you could find on, on the internet of her speaking at a Davos event and all of that. Really? Talking about the importance of filmmaking and, and all of that. Oh, so I, we, I'm sure you just get a whole wait. show to that. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> we're going to have to do a whole show on that. Yeah. yeah you know, looking as uh, Jack was talking this, and really, you guys should come to the Heartland Institute. You're not going to get any research on WEF and the. Uh, Great reset and all that stuff anywhere else um, better than what we do it. But, uh, you know, so if you go to younggloballeaders.org, um, there's a they have an alumni community page and, uh, you know, they have a graphic on there and their their goal is to inspire others. Uh, it's to transform the world. You know, it, it's good to have goals and it's good to have achievable goals like transforming the world. Yeah. OK, uh, we can do that. Uh, why not? And then uh, their third thing is to connect the community by strengthening lifelong relationships uh, in supporting the community personally and professionally as true stewards of its potential. Uh, you know, one of the, the common things about um, all this, when, whenever you research the, the World Economic Forum and their annual meeting in Davos and uh, their Young Global Leaders Program and all the alumni from that that end up being prime ministers of Canada and New Zealand and, you know, the chancellor of the Exchequer in Britain and, you know, they're everywhere. But it's not, you know, it's not a conspiracy theory that there's a global agenda that is directed, um, centrally directed and away from most of the, the eyes of the most of the people in the world. I mean, uh, the one thing that's that's always um, that's central to all the things that happen at the WEF. There's a few things that are central to it. One is that uh, you're not invited. You meaning me and you and Donnie, the, the, the people are not involved in this in any way. No, it, I haven't gotten all, my invite. Yeah, you haven't. I'm sure it got lost in in my email. It's maybe in my spam folder or something. But the likes of us don't get to participate in these at all. Um, and we don't get to vote on anything and we don't get to participate in the conversation. It is a hand picked and selected group of elite that will be setting the global agenda. And when they do deign to come out in the public on stage and talk about these issues, um, most people don't really pay attention to it. We do. We do at the Heartland Institute. We do on Davos Watch. But uh, for the most part, um, they they tell on themselves. They talk about it. Um, as it says, they're going to be changing the world for our own good. And again, we don't ever get a say on any of this. We don't participate in the plans. We don't participate in the meetings. We don't uh, have policies put forth that we can vote on or um, uh, the, the politicians or the, the our representatives who are not part of that uh, group, that special group, tend to lose their elections. They get support um, from the important people that make sure they win their elections. So, you know, it's... Uh, Again, it's not a conspiracy theory. These are things that are happening. And I think more people need to wake up to the fact that um, their government isn't exactly what they've been told it is, that the agendas that are put forth are not coming from the bottom up. They're coming from the top down. Uh, and we do get some chances to resist, and we should take every opportunity that we can. Anybody, if you find out that any candidate has had anything to do in any meaningful way with the World Economic Forum, they should be on your never vote list. <laughs> Because uh, if you vote for them, you're never really going to get a chance to protect your freedom, really, maybe ever again. Yeah, you know, it's funny because like Jack pointed out, there are some people on that list that are on the right side of the political aisle. And I just really want to because this this program goes back a long time, right? Like the World Economic Forum has been on people's radar for a bit. But like, you know, some of these things are like. Oh, I was an alum of the young global leaders from like 1996 or something like that. And I want to like ask some of these people, like, what is this process? What does it actually mean? What what type of like lecturing did you have to go through to be on this list and all of that? And I wonder if there's certain people that are on that short list of, of the Republicans on there that would actually answer truthfully some of those questions. But uh, Chris, we are uh, an hour and four minutes into this podcast. So any, any comments and anything that I had to say during this Davos Watch segment? 
Yeah, so Davos has been around for a very long time. And uh, when it was first founded, it was all about <clears throat> trying to uh, bring international uh, you know, corporations and business uh, leaders together. But what I've noticed is in the past 20 to 30 years, they've gone much more uh, in a broad manner trying to uh, encroach upon the culture, uh, education, uh, academia, just like all these different areas. And I think what they've kind of done is they've seen in America over this past 30 years, the uh, long march through the institutions that has taken place by the left. Uh, they've, you know, conquered Hollywood. They've conquered, you know, uh, early child education. They've conquered higher education. Uh, it's just like th throughout throughout the, the cultural zeitgeist, uh, the, the left's messages uh, have been, you know, reverberating here for many, many years. So that's why when I look at that list and I see stuff like, you know, sports stars or like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, what I think the World Economic Forum is trying to do is trying to get away from uh, just being, uh, you know, pigeonholed into the economic realm. And they're trying to uh, produce that, uh, you know, leftist march of the institutions at a international global level. And they have the resources to do that. And that's why it's scary. And that's why we got to make sure that we remind people that globalism, you know, is not always the best way to do things. Uh, you know, there's a reason why, uh, you know, uh, we are Americans and Americans first because we do need to uh, do things that are, you know, in our best interest. And that doesn't always correlate uh, with other countries. So I'm not saying that we should, you know, go back to, uh, you know, isolationism or anything like that. However, I do think that this this, uh, you know, 20, 30 year uh, march through the institutions by the uh, WEF at the global level is paying dividends and we need to you know, kind of, uh, you know, push back against that. And that's what we're doing. And just, I think the first thing we have to do is open people's eyes to it, because the first thing you have to do is acknowledge the problem. And that's what we're doing. And I think that more and more people are starting to understand that the World Economic Forum is not even about economics. It's about, you know, world domination in a way. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to continue to, uh, we're going to continue to expose the globalist world economic forum on a hopefully weekly basis. Um, we're going to wrap up the show, but we did get a nice super chat from Annika. Did I pronounce that right? Please tell me I did excellent show and love the Davos watch. So important to shine the light on the world economic forums plans. Thank you, Donnie. Thank you for supporting the show like that. Like I said, you could support the show with super chats like that, or you could just hit that like button, share this content, subscribe if you haven't already. Just leaving a comment under the video all helps break through those big tech algorithms and prevent content like this from being shown to more people. We are going to wrap up the show, though, unless anyone has any last words of wisdom or anything they want to get off their chest. Hearing nothing, I will say that you can, uh, you know, continue to support the show. Like I said, if you're an audio-only listener, leaving a review for us on iTunes would be greatly appreciated. Or you can watch us on Thursdays, where we are live streaming at noon Central Time on Facebook and YouTube and X and Rumble. And uh, join the show, throw your comments and questions in the chat, all of that. Join the show. You can also follow us on X at in the tank pod or you can send us your comments suggestions or uh questions to the show by emailing us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com jim lakely where can the fine people find you at j lakely on twitter slash x at heartland institute heartland inst on twitter and x and also always visit heartland.org fantastic chris talgo what do you have to pitch today Harlan.org and stopinsocialism.com. Harlan.org, we got a lot of great um, you know, opinion stories up there and just so much great content. Please go check it out. Fantastic. And Jack McFerrin, thank you for being on the show with us. Anything that you would like to pitch at the end of this here episode? Same thing as Chris, heartland.org, stoppingsocialism.com. Fantastic. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.